Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so excited today to be joined by the fantastic Rose Byrne to talk all about her current Apple TV Plus shows, Physical and Platonic. And, and starting with Physical, one of the things that I love about the show in terms of the tone is the way that it kind of unapologetically builds tension, and it doesn't feel a need to always release it through a comedic beat or kind of give the audience that moment to take a breath. And I was really interested in, in from your side and your perspective in, in making the show and performing on it kind of how that plays into the way that you go into a lot of scenes, knowing that you're able to lean into it, because it feels like as the show has progressed, it's kind of allowed itself to do that even more as the characters ended up in more tense situations as well. Mm. Yeah, the the stakes have definitely kind of ratcheted up each season and each episode. Um, and I love that fine line of how much it asks of the audience and how uncomfortable it can get. I live in that place. I very much relate to it. And I'm, um, uh, probably less so as I've gotten older, but it's um, it's something that I feel is enjoyable, quote unquote, to watch, even though it is it um, it can be deeply uncomfortable living in in Sheila's shoes. And in terms of of the internal monologue, you know, that's obviously such a central part of the show. Um, but obviously that that voice has really changed and progressed as we've gotten towards the end of season two and and then going into the beginning of season three, which is coming out soon. Um, at the beginning, there's there's a silence in place of that. And it's really fascinating to watch the difference in scenes with a silence where there's always been this acerbic mm -hmm. commentary. Yeah, um, yeah you know, yeah. as she finds herself in a slightly more positive space at certain moments. Mm -hmm. And so what has been that shift in terms of even just the technicality of filming scenes where you're having to allow for these pauses and suddenly having moments where you don't always have to give that space over as much? Mm. It's been an, it was an adjustment. Um, I felt something was missing. It was definitely something I had become so accustomed to and so part of Sheila's experience being a person. So it was... It was an adjustment and I'm very curious to hear how the audience responds to it because I think some people love the voice. I think the voiceover is polarizing. I think people either are drawn to it or repelled, you know, repelled by it because it's too raw and too familiar. So for me, it's interesting what it will, what the viewers will take away from it. Um, and it's a, it's another great sort of, it's a great tool of the storytelling of physical is that when, you know, this sort of impending doom of like if and when it will will return so I think there's something about that that is um you know crushingly relatable and real of like falling back into this into these habits that we're trying to break and in terms of developing a character and having that sort of internal dialogue, it's such a different experience because you usually always have to kind of dig beneath the surface of the scripts to figure out that subtext of what is their internal dialogue as a character. And mm. so how has that been a completely different journey and process for you with the character? Um, the voice to me um, always was directly related to her illness. So the illness is such a demon on the shoulder and something that is she she but I've had I've had many friends who are in recovery whether they're from sex or drugs or alcohol or um uh you know whatever their addiction may have been reach out and go that is the voice I have had in my head and that was incredibly moving to me to have those conversations and people um confide like that and very interesting because it was not necessarily something that I had drawn the threat, you know, drawn the line through of like, a, this will be relatable to to everyone who's kind of suffered from that, from some form of addictive illness. 
Uh, and I'm curious, yeah, it, it, for me it was um, it was liberating in one sense for the character to not have that and also um, what, you know, you're untethered and that is that can also be scary because the voice is such a such a thing tying her down but there's also a um, familiarity with it and when you lose that it's sort of like losing a limb and through throughout the course of the second season we got to see her journey kind of stepping into and allowing herself to open up to the idea of recovery and it, mm-hmm. at first it was telling her husband that she was there but she wasn't really and then agreeing to go but not participating in the process and then finally actually kind of seeing the benefit of it and opening herself up in a way that we've never seen before on the show and so how did that create a lot of different space for in the character for you well, there's there's recovery and then there's recovery. And I feel like she has this false start in season two and then obviously has a a, a dreadful relapse. And it just never ends. It never ends. But recently with a friend who's an addict who recently had a relapse after 20 years. Like it just doesn't, this is a, it's just the demons of addiction and that that type of personality and that the, the types of um but, you know, traumas that have led to that is really profound and you can't underestimate the power of it. So I, um, uh, yeah, to your, to your point about her being in, in recovery at the end of season two, it felt, it felt like finally the first scratching of the surface of her recovery and she really does commit to it. And it is, she's striving so much and it's back in 1982 where there is no language around that there's no acknowledgement of there's barely any acknowledgement of it it's very it's full of so much shame and um and just another sort of women's hysteria you know put in that uh it, it buried in that kind of um in, in in that world so it it felt um it felt very uh, you know like a, a a turning point for to be more articulate at for her to finally be with other people also who were suffering the same as her. She would have never been exposed to that. And that's such a great point that you bring up in terms of there just not being the language and the conversation at that time period. And that's true for so many aspects of her life in terms of the autonomy yeah. that she wants to create in her world that doesn't exist for women at that time. And, you know, the idea of not wanting to be in her marriage wasn't yeah. something that people discussed or, or was common at the time. And yeah. so what has that experience been for you in kind of always looking through the lens and contextualizing through the specific time period for what all these different experiences in her life would be like? It's so informative. I mean, just it, it's funny when I started physical. I just finished shooting Mrs. America, which finished the that was a one season show, but we finished in 1980, and this picks up in 1981. And it felt like I had been through a character of that year, of that era to then pick up in 1981 for a, for for a character who was very disillusioned by the women's movement and felt very. Um, at sea and still very much in, in a marriage that on the outside looks progressive, but actually close up is really quite traditional. Uh, and it's, it, there's, there's so much fun to be had, obviously, with the with the period and with the era, but it's so important to remember to reverse engineer of like where we are now and how we got here, like how we got to websites like, um, you know, every online yoga website, every online blogger, uh, Goop, obviously, you know, these huge wellness, uh, this this business of wellness and to sort of really reverse engineer and how women were, were the pioneers of that and it was a way for them to become economically independent and through financial independence they could, you know, a lot of women got out of bad marriages or got out of, you know, um, out of being stay-at-home 
mothers when they they didn't want to do that they wanted to also work and I'm not saying that's a bad or good thing I'm saying everyone's different you know instead of women just having one monolithic experience it was finally through financial independence having to um being able to have some choice exactly and and to that point it's it's very pioneering to watch her as a character kind of understand nobody's going to give me this professional yeah, success yeah, and nobody's going yeah. to give me an ounce of power. So yes. I'm going to go out there and claim it. Yes. Um, but what has been the experience of kind of playing a character where the lines of what she's willing to do in order to obtain those goals is kind of always changing and because the goalpost is always moving. So then her morality is always moving as well. It's exciting. It's exciting to play a character like that is the first part of that answer. And I love that women can be, I, 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 strive to look for characters who are morally ambiguous ambiguous and just happen to be women I think that it's a still a sort of cross to bear I think for a lot of female characters on film and television and in 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 theater that that still has has that lens unfortunately on it um and Sheila is always changing the rules and it's a constant conversation with Annie and I about what how she has to navigate getting to do what she wants to do and achieving what she wants to do and what the cost of that is. And I think season three really is an examination of that. And and leading towards the end of season two, and and then once you were talking with Annie and had a sense of where season three was going to pick up, um, was there kind of a consciousness on your part in terms of filming some of the earlier episodes in season two and really thinking about how you were going to build her to those specific plot points and, and arcs in her story as a character? We did. It's always a constant conversation of sort of the whole arc of a show. I mean, you never know, right? Like, but you dream big and you're like, this is the, this is this chapter we want to try to achieve and hopefully we get to do another chapter. And someone like Sheila is, it's such a rich character and a really rich world of, of opportunity and potential for story and narrative and uh, and I uh, and fun too, you know. It's like it's also a show that really transports you, I think, in a way. Um, and that so we always have, yeah, like it's a it was always a continuous sort of conversation of like, yeah, setting up things along the way to hopefully pay off in the ne- in the next chapter. And it's also a, a show that visually does so much, and especially when we look at the different looks that Sheila has as a character throughout, and particularly as she's achieving you know, more success gradually, how that evolves and changes. And I know Annie kind of came in with a very distinctive idea of what this character was going to look like at the beginning. The idea of like, we're going for the big hair. We want to fill the frame completely. And how is that idea of the visual aesthetic of the character for you really grown and evolved as her internal journey has grown and evolved over the seasons? Annie always had a great quote where she was like, you know, our, our our hair, makeup and wardrobe is our special effects. And that is every detail has got to be perfect for that and really speak to Sheila and where she's at in her journey. And we wanted her to start as, you know, a sophisticated hippie, but to really step into the 80s and into her and into having money and independence in a really visual sense in terms of the style and someone who's very presents themselves very well and is a is is a is is self-conscious Sheila I mean she's that's all she is she's just a bundle of nerves and being self-conscious so um it it really speaks to that uh, in how someone chooses to present themselves in their day-to-day uh and we had a lot of fun with that obviously as the as the years progress and the era progresses because of the 80s is like there's just nothing like it when you think it couldn't be um when you think it's too much you realize it's still still not enough 
I also wanted to ask about your relationship in, in working with Jennifer Hamilton on the show, who's the mm-hmm. choreographer and also, you know, who you worked with in the lead up to the first season really extensively in terms of aerobic training, because it also feels like the language of those scenes has really grown as her skill set has changed. And even just in terms of what each of those moments mean to her and, and as she's had professional growth. And so how have the t- how have the two of you really wanted to grow and evolve what those scenes speak to? Well, I mean, you know, ideally it was that the, she would look more confident when she starts she starts aerobics in season one. It's a whole new language she's learning and she's not, you know, she's um she's she has a dance background, but aerobics is a different thing. So there, there had to be a sense of somebody learning in those first things, which I was, <laughs> and to hopefully have all that language in me, the actor, to then really just, um, you know, piggyback off on that for season three, season two, but particularly season three to, like, have a confidence about her um and a, command, a commanding energy that those great teachers have, you know. I still remember my favourite exercise teachers or my favourite English teacher or whoever because they really own the space. And for her to be, you know, believable as a um, as someone who would have a, a huge following who was, a you know, a former, you know, housewife essentially uh, to becoming this um, very celebrated um, figure in the exercise world was was really fun. And there were so many touchstones of people that we could be inspired by back you know in the 80s which which I always enjoyed you know researching and looking at it was like really really it's a it's a it's something that's not taken seriously unfortunately it, it generally in the the larger scope of the of the of um of how women have become um you know on the forefront of 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 uh of the wellness business but it is a it's a huge thing and you can't underestimate it and one of those people that becomes a teacher to her that she really admires up to a certain point is Murray Bartlett's character. And I love the scene where she's coming out of the funeral and kind of leaving everything behind in terms of the relationship with her mom and all the complexities at play there and just walks straight into one of his exercise classes yes. and yeah. was was interested in kind of just everything that went into a scene like that because it's such an emotionally exuberant release for her. Yes, yeah, it was a charged scene. There was so much... Leading into that moment, a lot of setup, a lot of emotional stakes, and feeling incredibly vulnerable and fragile, and uh, and then to be stumbling across, across this sort of larger than life figure, you know, with this that she'd not heard of, and then going on a on a really weird sort of journey with him of like being not sure if he's her friend or enemy, but stick, sticking around to see uh, and trying to take notes at the same time of like uh, you know he's very much a cautionary tale, I think, to Sheila. But we had such fun and, and Murray is just has this quality as an actor where you're not sure what he's going, it, 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 what side, you know, whether to trust him or not, which is, um, which is there's a, there's a wickedness about him sometimes on screen, which I think really lent itself to, um, to Vinnie Green, the character in, in Physical. And with Sheila overall, you know, she's gone through such a journey of just never really being able to let anyone in her life, even her husband, fully into her world because she's always been concealing secrets. And so once you got to that point in the scripts where she does finally admit out loud that she's been struggling with an eating disorder and she has conversations with her husband and her best friend now knows, how did that evolve the, the dynamic of those sorts of relationships in her life for you? Well, you know, we meet her and she's so isolated with her illness. When you're that, when you're that consumed with a disease like that, there is no connection with anybody. 
it's impossible because connection means intimacy and intimacy just equals shame because of every secret that you're having. Like it's the opposite to what you're feeling and the isolation and the voice and her consumed by that is, uh, that is season one really until the end when Greta finally kind of penetrates Sheila and demands her to pay attention and demands her to like be where she is and talk to her. And, and they begin this sort of unlikely friendship, which evolves and evolves into a partnership, into a business partnership. Um, and you know, all the sides of Sheila, these sort of this trio of John Bream, uh, Danny and Greta bring out these very different sides of her and what she's, um, what she wants. So, and it's very hard for someone when they've suffered this sort of isolation to really ever truly, um, not lie is a big one. Um, and to be present, you know. And, and did that idea of, of the isolation and just that constant exercise in secrecy also inform other storylines, like the affair that we saw her having, because it's something where the idea of, of saying something which isn't truthful is something that she has to do in order to survive and get through every single day already. Yeah, I think the word is such denial and shame. And when she goes into her initial recovery at the, at the start of season two, she's replacing that addiction with this affair with this man who is so out of bounds being a religious figure and leader and a a well-known businessman in the town like the the stakes around that are really high and really not optically not a good not a good choice but it fills some hole she has not to be gross so like it feels it like um it uh it it satisfies an itch that she has which which is that the addictive quality of her of her personality? And I think that um I, I feel like she's I feel like that is just another, but but the the attraction of him is is his power and him getting what he wants when he wants it on his terms and people doing what he says. And Sheila has this burning ambition to have a seat at the table and be taken seriously and achieve this goal she has in her, but um no one's giving it to her. And the that sort of the pedestal that John Bream is on, I think she's so envious of. So it's a it's a complicated affair, yeah. obviously. <laughs> All affairs are complicated, but this is a particularly a, a strange sort of attraction they have. But but that idea in in kind of again going back to her trying to seed power and kind of observing other people and how they do it, it feels like sometimes there's a very adaptable quality. She kind of understands how to approach people differently depending on what she reads in them. Um, and so, do you find there's a lot of adaptability in terms of different scenes and the way that she goes after power differently with each person? That was fun to discover. That like I remember particularly scenes with Murray and with Paul, like how far she pushes it and what to what what ways she's getting what she wants and and with Danny too how she how she placates Danny and gives him what he needs just so he'll sort of leave her alone but feels he's like he's like endless neediness that he has and it's kind of ego that he is trapped with but he can't seem to escape um and all the scenes which were such opportunities to play these different sides to Sheila uh in her kind of figuring out how to get where she wants and that was you know I know people like that in life and there's characters like that all around us in the world who 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 pick a target and they kind of go for it 
Yeah. And, and with the fact that you're bringing up her marriage as well, you know, obviously when we met the two of them at the beginning of the show, there is such a space of just loss of communication and intimacy with one another. And there's such a distance and it's so fractured, but it still feels like there was an importance and an attention paid in giving us glimmers into what might have existed in their marriage mm-hmm. to understand how they came together, the longevity of their relationship and just the flickers that kind of still keep them in each other's circle. Um, And so what were some of the challenges that came in kind of playing a very fractured marriage, but making sure that you still captured those elements together? I love the marriage between uh, Danny and Sheila on the page. It was such rich writing and it felt like the show is an examination of a really long relationship uh, as well as an examination of power and eating and, um, and and addictive diseases and and I relish those things because Danny is such a well-written character he's so alive on the page and Rory just brings him you know bursting to life on screen so it was very effortless our scenes it never felt strained from the word go we always had a great ease about it and um familiarity which is something you you have to have when you're playing someone with these characters with such a history um and also yeah to not just be watching a bad marriage but a marriage that's sort of exactly just in this phase of you know such a breakdown of communication um and they're so far apart there's just no way to bring you know to like find a a common ground to bring you back together um when something's that broken how do you fix it and it's sweet in season two he really tries you know he tries to change which is unexpected, I think, for the viewer. I think it's unexpected for Sheila. Um, but I, I, I relish those scenes. They were always so rich and ripe for humour and relatability, you know, <laughs> like, of, of all of us being, having been in those moments in our, in our marriages or in our relationships. And in shooting the show overall, I was interested in the relationship that you have with the camera for a show like this, because there's such intimacy in terms of the way that it's filmed and Craig Gillespie, who who shot the initial pilot and kind of really set that visual language, has created so much of, of kind of the close up, particularly when it comes to Sheila's perspective and us seeing a lot of things through her lens, which I imagine also may even lead to moments where it's like you're not even able to make direct eye contact with your scene partner because you're essentially staring down the barrel of the lens instead. Yes. And so I was interested in just like the technicality and the relationship with the camera that that influences. Yeah, it's. I remember when we didn't have to stare at the camera all the time. It was really weird. And when we have new actors on the show or joining the show, it's like, wow, I never get to actually do a scene looking at somebody. And it becomes habitual. You become so used to it. But Craig set the tone. He wanted to find, do you have that kind of, that energy of being very close to the camera, really being inside Sheila's perspective. Um, and adds great tension to the show and tension to her inner life. Um, and I, I I loved it. I felt it felt very bold and it felt very just it felt like a, a real setting of a tone of a show. It's hard to set a tone in a show. It's a whole new world you're trying to create in this. And it was very he, he's so visually interesting, Craig. And so it's very cinematic, I think, in that way. And um, we we play with a little more as we went on, particularly in this last season. But um it's a for me will always be <laughs> a, a, a sort of a, a classic kind of Sheila setup is looking at the camera and um you know technic te- 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 like anything technical you adjust and you get used to it um and there's times when you uh but I I I, I don't mind I'm 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 a kind of I can be technical if I if I need to I've been doing it for so long <laughs> like <laughs> but I love looking at the other actor when I get to. 
And in in jumping over to talking about platonic um, in your work with Seth Rogen, you know, the the first couple of episodes, it's these two friends who haven't seen each other for years and who had this falling out. And I appreciate the fact that the first time that they see each other, it's not just this immediate return to the friendship that existed before, because they're both at very different places in their life. You know, she's had an entire family and, and, you know, professional career in the wake of, you know, and become a stay-at-home mom in the wake of him kind of growing a business, but kind of emotionally staying very stagnant to who he was. And so they're really strangers to each other at the beginning. And so how did you go into it and figure out what does it look like for these two people who used to have that familiarity to really not know each other at first, but gradually to kind of find the footsteps back to one another? Well, it was so important to set that tone in the first episode. So it's unexpected then. And to also have that first meeting be so deeply awkward because it informs that it ended really badly. Like their friendship didn't end well. It was like a a bad ending where they disagreed and she was rude about his wife and um, they had a falling out (laughs) that you have with people in life. So we wanted to capture that and to make sure it was clear that there was history and there was tension between them. And um, I remember filming it and thinking, oh, my goodness, how is this going to, how are we, you know, how this is hard. It was hard. and, uh, you know, I didn't want to do the show without Seth knowing we'd had this history of doing Neighbours, the Neighbours films, and that we had a good comedic rapport together. And the show Platonic lives and dies on this friendship of these two people. And I I, I loved the idea, but it just, it, without him, I just didn't know who else like we could, we could believably have, you know, and I think when you've done a jo- jobs with other people, you just, with, for better or worse, you do bring that history with them. And I think that sort of lent itself to, to I wanted to lean into that um, yeah. for the show, for Platonic. Um, and then, you know, it was funny. We were playing, you know, husband and wife in the Neighbours movies and we were happily married. So we were really sweet and affectionate and kind. And then in this, it's like really mean, <laughs> like winding each other up and making fun of one another. And it's like week two of the set, the filming, I was said to set, what really you get mean to me? <laughs> I was like, this is a bit, I don't like this. <laughs> And he was like, I know, it's different, it's different. <laughs> I mean, with with the line of where the conflict goes to, because it does go to fairly extreme places for both of them, yes, did you yes. think it was important for her to have a line as to how far she's willing to take it? Because it feels like for Will, there's no limit to where he'll take conflict when he's angry about things. But for her, because she has that history of when mm. I made these criticisms before, it it was too far for you and it broke our friendship apart. So she kind of has that emotional history where there are certain boundaries that you felt were in place for her. You know, it's interesting. He does sort of have a, this temper that is uncontrollable and like he flies up the handle, but Sylvia also doesn't know when to back off. She, with her um, opinions on him and like her, her needing to like tell him what to do (laughs) that she knows best and that's a quality that comes out more and more as the show, as the episodes drop, you'll see. It's like she she can't have a she can't have a relationship, a friendship with him that is casual. It's like a very intense friendship where it's very opinionated for better or worse. And they can't seem to have a, a, um, a more of a sustainable thing. It's like very, very intense friendships that, that, that they have that then blows up. Uh, and so you kind of see that come to the surface more and more as the episodes go on. So they're, they're both at fault, really. 
right? It's the moment the two of them are together and it's just the two of them, everything's fully turned up to 11. But then there's these different calibrations because the moment other people are in their circle, there's a different version of it. You know, his friends kind of egg it on, but then if her husband and her kids are there, then she kind of reels it back. Um, And so what was, what was it like going into playing a character where there's this constant dance in terms of, you know, he's reinvigorating this idea of reconnecting with who she used to be um, Mm. before she feels like she maybe grew up a little faster than she wanted to. And Mm. then just kind of like finding the middle ground and the space where that's a constant push and pull for her. Yeah, it was, uh, it's that thing. I mean, you've been, when you've been in the trenches of raising small children and you're the primary caregiver, you come out and you're a little disoriented. Like you've been, you know, like putting everything on hold, including like anything, like any sort of desire or any kind of like what you like or don't like. Like it's you, you're you're raising a family, and that is, has wonderful benefits. But it is a it's things that people don't want women to talk about. It's the people things that want people don't want to hear about. But she's very she's in that she's been in that world, and she comes out and she's like very disoriented. And this old friend of hers really brings out a side of her that is a different part of her personality that she was before and um I I I really wanted to show her show that side and show her having fun with that and show her sort of um how far she's going to take it before before it starts to um, become problematic Right. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the physical comedy in in particular, the episode where she thinks she's just taking cocaine, but it's also laced with ketamine. Because mm. um, I know for that, you specifically were researching and really studying videos of what's the physical implication yes. of that. Yes. Um, and yes. yeah. and often when I hear you talk about physical comedy, it sounds like you're always kind of willing to dive straight in and, and make the bigger choices <laughs> and then maybe figure out if you need to reel it back versus building towards it. And so for a scene like that, how did that play into the the dynamic of just everything physically that that enc- encompassed for you? It was a funny scene. It was very strange. We were in this really weird, seedy, like convenience store, like in Hollywood. Um, so the floor was so dirty. But uh, it's very specific how people act on ketamine, and I have not taken it, so I don't. I don't really know how it feels. So I was just analyzing this body movement and um, anything physical, whether it's the aerobics or something like this. Take is always a pleasure to do, just because you're not thinking about, you're not self conscious about your quote unquote acting. You know, you're just really trying to achieve the the uh the 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 physical act that you, you've been <laughs> you're required to do to sell the story um but I I enjoyed it it was very uh it was very fun and again it was like it's there's a great amount of trust between Seth and I that I could do all of that in front of him and it's very you know it's very vulnerable vulnerable in a way and he's I, we just have a great unspoken sort of trust with with each other with doing those sort of big comedic set pieces that we've done quite a few of now so um but I, the, you know, Francesca and Nick, who were the showrunners and all of the great writing stuff, they really wrote to our strengths, you know. They really wrote to Seth's strengths and to mine and to us as a as a duo. And I feel like this was one of those big kind of set piece comedy moments that they, they hopefully I pulled off. <laughs> And you're you're essentially playing a character who who starts acting out in a lot of ways, and and at the beginning there isn't the self reflection in place to really understand why she's doing a lot of things and why there's elements of of self sabotage and you know why is she telling certain things to Will but not to her husband and her family along the way. And so, what was that journey like for you in kind of gradually building more self awareness into her and more self reflection where it's not necessarily there at the beginning? 
It was fun. It was fun to, 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 to thread that needle of like how much she doesn't tell them and how much, and how much shame she has around all of these things she's doing. In her life. And it's comedy, you know, it's light. It's, it's told through a comedic lens yeah. of like these sort of antics that, that are relatable, but also are for, for, for comedy, comedic effect too. So it was that fine line of like keeping it relatable and this could happen to her or me or you or a friend or something, but with a, you know, with a comedic twist on it. And that was, that's like the pleasure of doing a show like that is the opportunity to, to, to kind of have these really relatable stories that are also, you know, very funny. <laughs> I mean, these are so both such different projects, but such great examples of, of the different directions that you're able to kind of bring to the table as a performer. So thank you so much for talking about oh, both of these you. shows. I really no, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your questions were terrific. Thank you. Thank you.